Hi, everyone. I'm Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I'm doing something a little new this time. I'm really excited to welcome back my guest, Tyson Adams. He is a men's coach who helps his clients outgrow their unwanted pornography and sexual addictions through shadow work. He's approaching three years of being addiction-free, and he's developed a somatic process and philosophy and upcoming new online courses uh, for men and to break through and overcome their own habits and also for women um, and partners to help with their partners uh, overcome those habits. Um, he, we had so much to talk about last time that we had to talk more. <laughs> so welcome back, Tyson Adams. Thank you, Don. It's, it's so great to be here. <laughs> we had, I was just telling you, you know, I listened back to our episode and it was like, there was so much wisdom, so many um, things that I know that men struggle with and that women who are partners with men who deal with sexual and, and pornography addictions it's really challenging because you feel alone and you feel maybe ashamed to talk about it, both if you're the one having the addiction or the struggle and issue, or if you're a partner of the one. So <clears throat> um, just can you, can you remind people, I'm going to just dive right in because we really talked about the shadows. <clears throat> and this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you because we sort of touched on it, but now I want to dive deeply into it and really talk about how to help people overcome them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, the, um, the thing that I can share is, is that I'm deeply empathetic to it because, yes. because I've personally had that struggle and been through it. I think there are a lot of um, therapists and addiction specialists that within the therapeutic, let's just say lens or the rules and regulations, um, they just have you show up and share all of your problems and all of your things that you're going through. And then they provide their therapeutic process. But the way in which I coach and the way in which I think uh, this sort of movement is moving towards is a lot more relational, which is to say, hey, I know what it's like. I've been in relationship. I've been out of relationship. I've, you know, I've, I've used porn to cope with a breakup or heartbreak. I've been in relationships where there was dysfunction or loneliness or sadness or anger, and I've used it to cope. I know what it's like um, to use it to get over a woman, you know, in the breakup process. I know what it's like to use it when I'm, you know, numbing or when I'm um, sad or when I'm sick or a number of different reasons why I would go to that particular modality to, to soothe myself, to feel better, to de-stress. Mm -hmm. And because mm -hmm. of that, I think I create an opportunity to be real with men um, and potentially also women that are also hearing this, which is to say, this is something that's plaguing society as a whole. And now yeah. that I'm, you know, reached three years without consuming it, there is a path out of that and it, it takes work. It takes time and energy and effort in deconstructing uh, the psyche and the shadows within, but you know, it, it is possible. And so I think that that's really the, the importance here is, is that this is a relational 
construct, not, not a therapeutic sort of setting where there's no vulnerability on the side of the, the person that, you know, is, is you're seeking to get some um, advice from or some help or some assistance from. Right. And can, can you remind our listeners in case they missed our first episode about what was your breaking point that, that made you realize, Hey, this isn't working for me anymore. Yeah, I think it was just the yo-yo of relationships. I mean, in my adult life, since the time I was uh, 18, I had um, 10 primary monogamous journeys um, from a year or up to three years. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reason why that's important to, 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 to share is, is that I wanted it to work. I wanted to find that right connection and that right partner that was safe and that there was that secure attachment. And yet, for whatever reason, I was moving in and out of these things um, with all kinds of heartache and heartbreak. And the constant theme through that was an unresolve of sexual dysfunction in my system and in my body. And I think that that had a tremendous uh, part of why I was oscillating in and out and why things were in some cases very dramatic and in some cases very unsafe and in some cases just chaotic. And I didn't understand why. And so the only way that I could get clarity on that was to, you know, it's, it's to remove, it's almost like going on a diet, right? Like let's do the elimination diet. Let's remove everything out of the system. And then we'll reintroduce things slowly to see what am I allergic to? What am I not? It's kind of that same concept. And that was really the one piece that I hadn't fully looked at directly and said, yes, I'm going to remove this and see how my life changes. And lo and behold, of course, as soon as that, component was cleared up and was um, uh, was not in my system. It wasn't operating. I was attracting very different types of women. I was uh, attracting women that um, I had never, you know, been attracted to in the past. And there was a lot more just peace and calmness in my system. I also perceived that all women, including my partners, were in um, – more safe. They felt more safe with me as well because I had eliminated that. So I think on an energetic level, there was also something that was happening that I wasn't aware of, but that once I eliminated that, it became very clear that that, that was what was what was between myself and my partner. And that was a dysfunction there. Well, and, and um, as I was listening back to our previous conversation, you know, you said something that that on average boys between the ages of eight and 11 are exposed to porn, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of when my kids were eight, they're, they're really babies. And to have them exposed to something so adult is really traumatic, actually. You know, it's like developmentally completely inappropriate to be exposed to that kind of stuff at a, such a young age. Oh, yeah, there's... Um... There's a, a good friend of mine who has a son um, who his son uh, came home recently and some boy at school had showed him and that was a traumatic experience that he saw that. And so this father was helping him process that. And um, I think it's, it's really, really important if you are a parent, um, there are softwares, VPN blockers to put on your own children's devices. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that their friends are having those blocks. And so I think it's really important to have those really hard conversations with your children 
And I actually hope to create a guide for that. I think that there's a big need for parents to know how to have that conversation with their sons and daughters in and around when somebody comes to them and shows them something that doesn't feel good in their body. I mean, it doesn't register or what have you, Mm -hmm. um, because that creates an excitation. And then that ends up being the bar to which we process that a sexual experience needs to be, um, as opposed to being connected. It's, um, it's off the radar, right? And it's, it's not appropriate for children. So I think that that's a huge need in society. And I, I definitely plan to create um, some sort of a guide and course for parents to speak to their children about protecting themselves. Well, and, and I would imagine, you know, your peers, probably your parents didn't talk to you about it either. No, no, no. no. Yeah. So it's, so it's, it's this hush, hush, Um, you know, we're sort of ashamed, but we're super curious and we're interested because we want to know about these things, but we're doing it in a very, um, disturbing non-reality based way. Yeah. And it's getting worse. I mean, the thing that I've been really researching a lot lately is, as you look at the virtual reality world and the Uh sex what you're going to see is, especially in Japan, you have, you have sex dolls and virtual reality merging where they're actually not preferring to be in partnership. They have marriages that are sexless, but then they have these outlets, which are these, these fake worlds, this, this thing that they live in, which is very disconnecting. And uh, there's, there's all kinds of neurological and, and brain um, problems with that, which is that they don't understand how to co-regulate with another human being. And so mm-hmm. we're getting more and more, um, detached from our disconnected. own disconnected. Yeah. So it's, it's going to get worse. And, um, yeah, I want to be a part of the movement that, uh, says, Hey, like we've normalized it. And actually we need to really address this as a culture and as a society. And so what, I mean, where, where do you start? Yeah. So where I'm starting is now that I, Fortunately, I, um, I'm a business development consultant, and so I actually help a lot of people um, launch their, their online courses and run social media to those courses. And, mm-hmm. um, and because I've had good success with my clients, I realized, well, there's no reason why I, I shouldn't do this for myself. And, yeah. and, and, and when I say myself, I don't mean for me, I mean for humanity, but yeah. I feel that it's imperative that I do that it doesn't even feel necessarily like a choice anymore. Now that I'm reached this place, I have to do it. And so I have all of the, the online skills to do it. And now it's just a matter of having the guts to sit in front of the camera, to tell my story, to empathize with men and to say, Hey, there's a, there's a way out of this. And so what I plan to do, and I've built out the wireframe for it, which I shared with you. And ultimately I'm, I have a a team that's going to help me do this, but Um, I'm going to have kind of three different options for people. So if men, um, whether they're single or partnered, I'm going to have different communication strategies for each of them. But ultimately, people, if if a man has a relationship problem, my my experience and my assumption is is they don't necessarily immediately connect the dot that porn is the problem. They wouldn't necessarily connect that dot. They, they, they may, but they probably don't. And so what is important for me is, is communicating to them what their problem is. And 
people have love and relationship issues. And so that's really what I'm focused on. So if you're single, attract your partner, you know, attract the partner of your dreams. You know, are you having these problems? You know, I can help with that. Okay. If you are a part, if you are a man and you're in partnership, is your relationship starting to stray? Um, or are you starting to stray or is there division between you? Is the communication not there? And focusing on, hey, would you like to deepen your intimacy with your partner? And and so those communication strategies are really looking at this inherent and fundamental need that men and women have, which is to feel love and to feel safe and to feel connected. And then once we have established that connection, which is, hey, that's what I really want for you is to be in relationship with another human being and to have that be be thriving and be well. Have you thought about the possibility that your pornography consumption and or addiction or habit or however you classify it mm-hmm. might be what is getting in, in the way of that connection or that capacity for you to manifest that life? Because that's what it was for me. And then when I removed that, all of these things started to happen. And it wasn't just the relationship piece, although I think that that's the main piece, but there's also um, energy, uh, career, um, you know, finances, all of those other things started to fall in place because I wasn't draining my life force energy with these types of, um, negative things, these, 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 you know, these pornographic images and this pornographic mindset. And so once I've established that sort of framework through some videos and some text, then there's going to be three options for people. So for people that can't afford, it's going to be a $300 you know, do it yourself course for people that can't actually afford that. That's no problem. It's going to be pay what you want. So in order to do the pay what you want model, you have to send me a physical letter in the mail saying, this is the price I want to pay, whether that's free or whether that's a hundred dollars or whatever. And they have to actually take action. And once I receive that, I'll send them an email and say, Hey, here's your code, get the course. I don't want anybody to not be able to get it. And then for people that just want to pay for it. Great. And then there'll be another option, which is Um, it's a six week course. Um, but the other option would be for me to walk people through that and do that course together with six, um, you know, six sessions where we meet for an hour and we actually talk about that information and I walk them through on a more personal level and that will be at a a higher price point. Um, so those are, that's what I'm, you know, working on, um, Mm -hmm. on the side with my other client work, because, this needs to happen. This is a huge, huge thing. And ultimately, like I deeply, deeply care about the evolution of masculinity, not just here in America, but on, on planet earth. And I think I may have mentioned it in our last, um, our last podcast, which was that when I was in Laos and I was, I, I, I lived there and I um, had a cafe and there was one day when I came outside and there was two boys and they had a blanket over their head. And of course I took it off and they were watching pornography. And so when I say that this is a global you know, planetary issue. Like I mean that like masculinity needs to evolve because our boys are being raised with sexual education that is pornographic and it is absolutely totally not the way that uh, will allow for them to have deep and, and, and vulnerable and connected relationships with their potential partners, regardless of their sexual preference, but just in general. Well, I I think that that's why, it's been such a big issue all over the world because, you know, this is why I wanted to start this podcast is because I feel like, you know, there are certain subjects that have always been taboo to to talk about. And, um, you know, in the past like 50 years or so, you know, people have been more upfront about talking about alcoholism and other drug addictions 
and depression and anxiety. And I feel like sex and relationships are sort of the final frontier, you know, that, that we only talk about those things when we're in crisis mode. And that's when you come to the therapist, you know, but that's why your work is so important. That's why I show up to do this. Um, and when you said, this is not an option, I have to do this. Like I feel called to do this. I feel compelled to do this. Um, it's one of those things like, it doesn't really matter if I get paid or how I get paid or what I get paid. It's just that I know that this is my work that I am here to do to help, to help people create this sense of, which we talked about love and acceptance for ourselves, you know, as opposed to isolating and feeling alone, which is often what these addictions or challenges or issues or whatever you want to call them. That's what they do. They make us, feel those shadows, um, which we're going to talk about more, um, the shadows of feeling alone or ashamed or judged or um, criticized or devalued or all of those things that make us feel separate. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, that's a great point. Yeah. And, you know, feeling called to something so strongly because of its own impact on my own family, but then also what I see happening on a global scale and how mm-hmm. I see the Me Too movement, really women raising up, having their voices, being angry, but then now kind of coming forth um, and uh, and saying, actually, we, we, we really want and desire a need for our men to show up. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really this next wave, which is that men and women need to come together and to, to work through this because this is, you know, this is, we're working through thousands of years of, of, of property of women and just all kinds of things that are really difficult. And I think the one thing that stuck out um, when you were talking about addiction as it relates to drugs and alcohol and a number of things, I think, you know, it's very obvious drinking and driving causes accidents, causes deaths. And so we need to put an issue on this. But the, the fact that pornography is, is, is legal after a certain age I understand that. Like that's, I get that. However, you're an adult, you can make your own choice. You can make your own choice. But I think what we don't necessarily um, uh, really consider is, is that those that are exposed to pornography, especially violent pornography and those that are exposed to it before they're ready to, or they, you know, they're young children, Uh it creates them to be vulnerable to sexual uh, abuse. And it also creates, um, violence and the way in which you know abusers abuse children and so i think it's one of those things that still is taboo and it's it's accepted and normalized but it really does permeate an energy at a collective level that needs to be addressed head on and and we really need to begin evolving beyond that and and seeing that this is not this is not helpful for humanity and that this is the strongest addiction i think i mentioned this in the first one but i'll say it again you know, an orgasm with sex is, uh, it's like heroin in the veins. As far as the brain activity goes, it is the most addictive thing that we do. And so I think when we remove that, all those other addictions also start to release the grip on the, on the individual and on their body and on their somatic nervous system as well. And do you think, do you think that most, most people that consume pornography, they just have no, um, 
no recognition that it's affecting their relationship in any way. They just, it's like they try to keep that um, part of their life compartmentalized. They do. Yeah. It's, um, it's very much so compartmentalized. It's, um, it's as if, well, I mean, it's ultimately it's operating in the shadow, right? The way I'm sure we're going to get into some shame here, but ultimately, um, and I sent you this longer thing that I had written, but I look at it sort of like healthy shame, unhealthy, and then toxic and healthy shame would, would effectively say, Oh, when I watch that, I don't, feel good in my body. And so I'm not going to do that. And then unhealthy shame would operate where we begin to ignore that body response, you know, over the course of a long period of time. And then when it turns into toxic, it actually develops into something that we crave. We actually crave the unhealthy shame. We crave that, um, that, uh, uh, we fetish, we fetishize it effectively. We actually end up eroticizing that shame that, that doesn't feel good. And then we end up taking it further. And then the problem with that is, is when you go down that, that sort of porn trap, which is, you know, it just gets weirder and weirder and darker and darker. Then that actual shame, actually, it, it sort of um, snowballs on itself and it gets even bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I think that, yes, most people have to compartmentalize that and they just lock it away and they act as if that doesn't exist. And that. Mm-hmm why is my relationship suffering? Like I'm going to go do marital counseling. I'm going to do, I'm going to read this self-help book. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to whatever. All the while this over here is just this, you know, that's behind closed doors. That's locked away and they don't see that connection and they refuse to see that connection. And so that's really the, the hero's journey of this whole, um, uh, helping of, of, of men and women, which is to bridge that gap to say, Hey, there's a relationship between these two things and they don't, they don't operate mutually exclusive. These are inclusive of each other and they affect each other. Absolutely. Well, yeah, because all of your thoughts and all of your emotions, um, they all, and your, and your bodily system, they all affect one another. And so how can you not consume whatever it is, whatever the, the, um, whatever the substance is, how can it not affect the rest of you because it's affecting you as a whole? And so they're even, they're even marriages who have sex and think, well, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, this is just something I do over there, but then I'll come back to my partner. Sure. And I think that, what I've noticed in myself and what I've learned through working with my clients is it's, it's a pornographic style of relating. It's like PSR is what they call it. Mm -hmm. And so effectively, even if you compartmentalize that and you think they're not affecting each other, when you're out in society with your partner, of course, men were very visual creatures. You know, a beautiful woman walks by, we're going to look, but there's a difference between, well, first of all, your partner is going to pick up on all of that energetically. They're going to pick up on that. They're going to see that they're going to know it. And they're either going to, they're either going to address it with you or they're going to not address it with you. And if they don't address it with you, then it creates just a tiny little chip of division between the trust there. And that begins to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. But in addition, if it is addressed and there's defensiveness 
because there often is because we're if a partner's bringing it out to us it creates shame in right. man, right. and that creates a riff and it's just like go away and so ultimately you know when we remove the pornographic mindset the psr the pornographic style of relating then when we see even if i'm alone or single or excuse me not single but like if i'm not with my partner versus when i am with her um i can see an attractive woman and i can have her in my visual field but i don't take it into that pornographic state i can feel that energy understand that energy and appreciate it but bring it into the heart space as opposed to into a an erotic sexual state and there's a very different vibrational frequency that when you're outside of that lens and outside of that mindset where you 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 can control yourself and what you may you, what you used to do which was to 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 basically um, see that woman as an object effectively which is very similar to what happens to your mind as it's being pro no pre pro or excuse me reprogrammed by the computer which is it's just an objective experience you're just observing it as like a voyeur so that is a really really huge component of why those things are connected and men just don't see it they don't they don't get that well and how while you were talking i was also thinking about you know when you say that it's eroticized versus moving in the heart you know a lot of men would probably say, well, what's the big deal? It's erotic, you know, it's erotic. It makes me excited. You know, it makes me want to have more sex. What's the matter with that? If I bring that back to my partner, because, you know, my, my partner already has my heart or maybe even that's not even a, a big consideration for the guy. Sure. I mean, I would say two things. The question for those types of men would be, um, how do you feel when you're with your partner and some guy looks her up and down and does that same thing? How does that make your body feel? You know, do, are you even aware or does that arouse you? And if it arouses you, well, what does that say about your, you know, your energy and your story? Right. Uh-huh. So I think that, that ultimately, um, you know, for me, when I'm in those situations and I am with my partner and I know that she's being objectified and, and there's a man that's, that is using a pornographic, you know, style relating to whatever he's thinking, I can feel that because I, because it's familiar to me in my own system. And so Mm -hmm. I think that that is a way for you to check yourself. Like, why is it okay? Why is it okay for me to do that? But it's not okay for another man to do that to to my partner. Mm -hmm. So, well, and and that's, that's the thing too, that I think about is every woman um, who's involved in pornography, there's somebody's sister or daughter or mother or cousin or something. And so, you know, I, I mean, this is something that I would, would ask my, my ex. It's like, what if your daughter was doing that? You know, what if she ends up doing that? Like, how would you feel about that? Like as a parent, you would think, Oh my God, no. A great example. My, like one of my best friends, he was a teacher and here he is. The woman she had graduated because he's you know taught like high school um, mm-hmm. seniors, and two years later he's consuming pornography, and there she is. She's the hitchhiker in the pornography, and it just blew him wide open. And he shut the computer, and that was the day that he walked away from it. And I think the reason why that's important is just to say that that these are people; these are real humans. You, the, 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 he obviously had a relationship with this individual, and so mm-hmm. I think that that's a really, really um, 
inconvenient part of of waking up and and for a man to really own that and understand that mm-hmm. and in and then in this particular case it was it, it was apparent to him that there was some unsettledness within her system as it related to her family and all kinds of things and so then you think well why am I contributing to that? Why is that okay for me to, to support this particular type of thing? These are real humans. And I think that that's another layer of it that is like really, really important. Mm -hmm. And, and also what you said before about, you know, the more that you consume, it's like anything, sugar or drug or alcohol, the more you consume, the more you need to get that same high. Yeah. Oh yeah. Once the brain has experienced a certain type of excitation, then um, uh, we're, we're, we're trying to get back there. And that's really the foundation of a lot of people's trauma, too, especially those that, are, um, that their innocence was taken at a very young age. And they did have somebody um, that has, you know, had sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. That, I always say that if you've experienced that and the excitation was there, even though it's inappropriate, that doesn't mean that our physical bodies didn't respond to that very act. And so what ends up happening is, is we have this um, threshold or this sort of capacity inside of us of that excitation. And so we're chasing that chemical response as well. And that turns into the ways in which we would, of course, attract certain types of partners and move through certain types of sexual experiences. Um, You know, you have the whole Dama matrix and all of the submissive and, 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 you know, that kind of uh, world. And I think that that often is a product of, you know, uh, trauma where you're trying to chase that chemical experience because it's still locked in the body and we need that drug in order to get to that place again. And is there, is there a way to, to still, because people may just want to explore those aspects of themselves that have been unexplored, sure. but in a completely safe and, and trusting environment. Yeah. So that's a wonderful question and a wonderful point. And I think that in a, in a securely attached monogamous relationship, I think that that is possible, which is to say, Hey, when we were having a conversation the other day about this, I noticed that this fantasy that I have is not something that I shared with you and it's creating excitation in me. And, you know, and I want to bring that up and I want to share that and speak about that. And then there is a possibility that one can, can do that, can explore that, but from a place of safety, I mean, there's, there's, um, there's, uh, there's a fight or flight experience that's mm-hmm. going to happen um, when we take it too far. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can explore certain types of fantasies within the threshold where your body is not trying to disassociate and trying to leave and trying to go to that. Right. state. And so I think that, yeah, in a lot of ways it's, it's extremely important. The, the problem that I see though is, is you have a lot of, gurus and these sex men that are sort of sex experts and they want to help these women with their traumas. And so they lead women into these places of saying, okay, well, what is your fantasy? I will act that out for you with you in order for you to overcome this thing that, you know, is there. And what ends up happening is, is that it actually further traumatizes them. It actually makes it worse because it brings it up and 
And so what is posed as healing and is posed as something that's going to reorient, it actually takes them more and more away from their body because they get into that moment and then they want to get away from the original abuser. But then here's this man who's trying to help them, but it ends up being that it's, it's just a recreation of that abuse, but in a different framework of language. Right. And I really, you know, I see that as spiritual bypassing. It's absolutely something that women need to be aware of. It absolutely happens. I know numerous men and women that have, or I've known numerous women that have reported to me of certain men that have done that. And there's these types of communities in Southern California where they kind of invite that kind of experience. And, and I just say, be careful. I mean, I really do. I don't think those things are about connection. I think that those things are about power and control. And right. I think that they ultimately feed the egoic nature of the man. And he ultimately is, um, is, is recreating some of his own traumas and, and seeking to be powerful and seeking to be um, exploitive um, as a recreation of his own powerlessness as a boy, ultimately. Well, and that's, that's something that you talked about as well. Your friend, is his name Jay? Yes, that did, Jay. The, that did the research on the type of pornography that people consume is related to um, their wounding, you know, their, their childhood wounding. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit more about that, and then we can sort of segue into talking more about the shadows because that's what this is. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's that, your porn preference has a direct correlation to your, to your attachment style and to your, in your, in your wounding. So, you know, men that have had, uh, you know, um, very controlling and abusive and authoritarian fathers would be, would gravitate towards, cause they're feeling powerless. They would gravitate towards wanting to feel powerful and therefore they would pick pornography where the woman would be subservient to them in race and in size and those types of things versus you know a, a man who has more enmeshed experience with mother um, would be more um, uh, drawn towards you know you know mother type experiences or or porn where they're being dominated because of the nature of that exchange and so you know he studied 1300 um, people over the course of many years and he was able mm-hmm. to make these correlations through the therapeutic process of them folding their and, and diving deep into their traumas and understanding that yeah your preference is in direct proportion and therefore there's an eroticized wound that's happening and that ultimately drives your 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 porn and and also the types of porn or excuse me the types of partners that you would choose or the types of sexual experiences that you would want right and it's really um i feel like it's such a con such an internal conflict you know because it's it's that thing of um even you know even if you had traumatic experiences and you and your body reacted in, in an excited way it's like wait this doesn't make sense and so I'm sure that a lot of this work is about um, unraveling the paradox of it all. Sure. Yeah. And I, I walk my clients through several processes, um, one more messy process and then one more calm process. I don't remember if I covered that before, but I'll just briefly say that it's important to cover it twice, regardless if I said it in the first podcast, but you know, moving through when you have an excitation and you think that you're horny, like check yourself out. Like, am I really horny or am I really sad, angry, numb, whatever. And then if you are, there's a way to do a conscious rant, yell, scream, do whatever you need to do 
without losing yourself, don't disassociate, but move through the energy for whatever amount of time by jumping and yelling and screaming and being filterless so that that energy can move out of the body. And once that's out of the body, then we can check back in what's going on here. Um, am I actually in a state of arousal or am I in a state of, you know, whatever panic, Um, panic, (laughs) that kind of thing. And then a more subtle way to do that is if, you know, you don't feel like that's your way, but laying down, entering kind of a more meditative breath state and moving that energy out of the erotic zone of the, you know, the, the, the bottom chakra or however you want to talk about it, the sort of the, the pelvic floor and moving that energy up the spine it through a visual experience and over the top of the head, grabbing those fantasies, bringing them into a color. And then of course, exhaling them and releasing them and allowing your, you know, your, your body to function as it may do, which is, you know, a man might be having erections coming and going and really just allowing that energy to transmute and exit the body without needing to go to the actual masturbatory experience or the pornography experience to ejaculate, to get it to go out. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's, learning the skills to kind of um, transmute that energy instead of eroticize it. Well, and, and, and that's all about your poem that you wrote yes. about your period penis period yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. that well, you can, you can just give a little summary. I mean, you know, you said you, you yeah. read it last time, but can you give a little summary of what it's about? It's just really to help men to be aware that this, thing that as boys we grew up going it has a mind of its own mm-hmm. which is the cultural thing mm-hmm. it's not a true statement this thing is just as much you as your heart as your fingers as your hair as your eyes so don't think about it as its own thing it is not a means to an end for you meaning if you have emotional turmoil that's not the way to deal with it um uh, effectively because that's just it's going to come back it's not the solution to, to to overcoming whatever emotions we're we have inside so and right. then of course that next step is is that if you are doing that which i was for the bulk of my life your partners become an extension of that where they just feel used and they feel like just a um, you know a receptacle for your sexual experience and and that doesn't and feel good to them so mm-hmm. that's important to treat them as an end and not as a means as well which is an extension of how you're treating yourself in your own body and do you do you feel like from from your experience were you wanting the connection i mean because you've talked about connection um you know you've mentioned it a few times it's like do men because there's this thing like men want sex just for sex sake Whereas, whereas women stereotypically want sex more for the connection. Sure. I think underneath it all, we both want the same thing, men and women. It's Uh just that there's more shield. There's more um, just armor, armor. There's more armor. I mean, big boys don't cry. We've all heard it. So Anytime we dip into a vulnerable state, we clam up and we, we don't want to share that. Um, whereas for me, I'm, I'm actually quite expressive. I cry regularly. And I think that that's, I'm, I'm not in that state of needing to protect the self and protect the image of myself. I'm, you know, so uh, willing to show up and be vulnerable inside of a relationship and mm-hmm. even in my male friendships as well. And I think that that's really the, the underlying issue is is that once men can move through that, then 
the needs the same, which is connection, which is mm-hmm. love and belonging, feeling safe, feeling true love, authentic, being authentic with one's partner. Um, and I don't think many people ever get there. And many people in marriages will be in marriages their whole lives and still not really penetrate that and have that type of authenticity. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's because people aren't willing to face themselves, right? I mean, this is all about dealing with your shadows and, um, and integrating all of the different aspects of you, the things that are scary, the things that, um, make you feel badly, the things that make you feel alone and isolated, the things that make you feel ashamed or judged or criticized, all of those things that, you know, people try to put on a brave face. People try to wear this mask, like everything's okay. I'm okay. I've got it covered. I can deal with it. I can handle all the pressures and the stress and the responsibilities um, of everything that I'm trying to manage in my life. And, um, and I'm okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's well said. I think that's spot on. And that was me for the bulk of my life until I decided to wake up and and penetrate that and really move through that. And I think Mm -hmm. that we as a collective are doing that. I think it's becoming more and more with social media and more and more people being open and honest. I think it's permitting that. Mm -hmm. I think there's also a shadow that's also collective within social media and within this, which is some people are doing it and they're breaking free. And some people it's taking them deeper and deeper into that egoic shadow space, which is that whatever they're doing is just creating more of that casing around them around. Mm -hmm. It's just, and especially if they develop large followings or, you know, or start to have people that start to pay them, it creates even a deeper issue. So I think it's really how you use it, you know, ultimately. Um, a relationship or sort of uh, social media as a whole. And, you know, our exchange is the reason why they're so wonderful and authentic is because you and I are both showing up and we're both wanting to get to the core of it. And, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, why our conversations flow, at least from my perspective. So, so mine too. Mine too. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Because I feel like, um, I mean, even, even last night and this morning, I was completely judging myself. Um, for not having my website done, for not being on social media enough, for, you know, not really comparing myself, but just sort of saying, I, I want to, I'm compelled to do this work and I'm showing up in this particular way. And I know like, because the work that I want to do is, is helping people overcome their heartbreak and betrayal. And that's all about facing your shadows and facing the ways that you weren't a good partner um, or facing the ways that you allowed yourself to be mistreated by a partner. And, um, and I've been working on it for a long time and yet I still feel like I'm not really doing the work, right? <laughs> because I have a lot of these other things that I'm trying to take care of. And so, you know, when you, when you try to, one, figure out your mission and your purpose. Why am I here? Why was I given the gifts and talents that I was given? Why was I given the interests and desires that I was given? Why, um, how, am I, how am I able to help people um, create better lives for themselves? You know, based on 
the ways that I struggled and the ways that I was hurt and heartbroken. You know, I mean, this is why your work is going to be so valuable because you've experienced, uh, you've experienced it all. And so you're, you're coming to this place of having the empathy and saying, been there, done that. You know, I know, I know how, um, I know the high that it gave me. And I know also know the sense of isolation and disconnection that I felt while doing it. And so how can I deal with my shadows and say, I'm not okay, but it's okay. You know, there are things that I need to work on. There are things that I need to address in myself so that I become a clearer receptacle (laughs) so that I can be clean and clear in both the energy that I give and the energy that I want to, to take in. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, two things. One is more than happy to schedule another call for an hour and help you with your website. That's today. <laughs> so I would love to help you with that. And the second thing is, is yeah, I think that uh, when we start any new life or any new project, um, it, it becomes all encompassing. And, and ultimately this, at least from my perspective on your show, it's, it's, it's amazing, but you're having all of these conversations as well. And so there's the work, which is to actually put it out to the world. But then there's also the internal work, which is that all of these conversations I would assume are arising and percolating and bringing out all of this yeah. new way of existing and being. Yeah. You know? And so I empathize with that because it's quite the conundrum when we have to chop wood and carry water and <laughs> you know, new life, but still you know, strive for, you know, reaching this self-actualization and this awareness and, and, and moving through shadows and, you know, talking to the people that have, that are on that same path. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a conundrum to, to, to be quite honest sometimes. And coming back to the center. (laughs) Well, and I never, I never feel like you arrive at the destination, you know, it's not an arrival. It's like, you're just on this journey. And so yeah. where am I on this journey? And I just keep, I mean, I, I, I actually, I have somebody who's been helping me with my website and, she, okay, and I cool. said, and I said this morning, I was like, I've done nothing since I talked to you a month and a half ago. And she's like, and you're judging yourself for it. And I was like, completely. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so it was more like, you know what? We all sort of go through these ebbs and flows of life right? Just as winter, the leaves fall, the tree, you know, the tree branches droop and, and the earth, you know, provides the substance to reroute. And, and I feel like all of these things help us rediscover more of who we are, Mm -hmm. you know, rediscover our truth. And, and, by this is why it's so important to face this the struggles yeah this is why i want to have these conversations to normalize them because people think i'm all alone in my struggles Mm -hmm. and i don't know how to deal with them or there's no hope for me i'm just going to continue to be addicted to porn and it affect my relationships and this is just how it is and you know my penis has a mind of its own it always has it always will and so you know, that's why these conversations to me 
are so important because <clears throat> you have found a better way. Yeah. You have found a way that's more meaningful and provides you with a sense of not just the erotic part of your relationship that you want, but all the other stuff, the safety, the trust, the connection, um, the sense of belonging, the sense of value and worth um, in ways that you can't, I don't, you can't get those things by yourself. I mean, you can, but you can't. I feel like, you know, you have to take care of your own tree, yeah. right? Um, but even the trees, there's not one tree that stands alone. Yeah. You know, the, the whole forest is filled with deep roots and, and sharing of nutrients. Yeah. And that's what I feel like we're all here to do. We're all here to share and connect and help each other live this most amazing, beautiful life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I, I totally agree. And as it relates to support, I think it's so crucial to have, to have a coach, to have a therapist, to have a confidant, not necessarily a friend because a friend, I mean, yes, we can share some intimate things and it's great, but I think it's important to have somebody outside of that that you pay because it really forces you to show up and actually to be mm -hmm. vulnerable and to not waste your money and your time. And, um, you know, with the right person, you, you can, the things that you think you're going to take to the grave, the things that you don't want to tell anybody, those things right. can be unpacked and healed and, and worked with and that kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 So, so should we talk a little bit more about shadows and, because we were, we were, we were discussing, you know, via messenger, like, okay, what do the shadows teach you, you know, sure. so that the shadows are not toxic, the shadows, they become healthy um, ways that can propel us to greater growth. Sure. Yeah. I think the most important thing is, is mm, sometimes people get, for me, I kind of track all of my um, different players. Okay. So I, I kind of have, you know, I have the victim boy, I have my controller, I have my protector, you know, I have sort of my entrepreneur, my teacher, and, and then, you know, I also have my lover and my, you know, I have a lot of different parts, parts. of right. this work, right? I think, yeah, exactly. And so the way to think about it is that um, a good way to examine it would be to say, okay, you have a, my friend, he's amazing at shadow work. I think I share in some podcasts, Connor. So he describes it as, is there's a long table and all of those parts are there and maybe you can see them as like little use, you know, little, uh -huh. little boy Tyson's. And so if you're going to ignore any of those, of course, what, you know, does any little child do or well, they're going to act out. They're going to stand up and say, stomp on the table. Yeah. They're going to do, all <laughs> they're going to do whatever they want ultimately because they're, they're, they're self-absorbed and they're, you know, they're, their kids are trying to learn boundaries and all that kind of thing. So I think what happens to people is, is they don't understand that they're fused with one particular uh, voice or one particular aspect, right? One, aspect, one mask, one shadow that they're interfacing with the entire world. They're even interfacing with themselves. And, and so in order for an individual to, um, to move beyond that, it's to understand and to uh, be grateful for that, you know, to be in relationship to the particular parts of ourselves that um, have protected us from whatever it needed, which has manifested into 
some form of behavior that let's just say we don't really want to accept about ourselves or be accountable for in ourselves. Uh And then when we can begin to unfuse from that, we can relate to it instead of from it. And when we're relating from it, we're just fused with it and we don't know we're operating from shadow. But when we can step out from that, then we can realize that we're not that thought and that we're not that, that we are ultimately something, a much greater um, awareness, which holds all of those parts of us. And when we can begin to track ourselves, we can go, oh, there's my, you know, there's my, the part of me that, that is a little boy that's very, you know, whatever. And, and then relating to that. So one example that I do to help myself, and I'm going to build this a part of my course is you can actually get an actual stuffed animal if you want to, but if you don't want to, you can just use a pillow. But the point is, is to project your little boy at whatever age you want him to be, whether that's infant all the way through, you know, being a teenager, like, on your chest, the way in which you would love if you have your own son or if, or if you were loving some, you know, child innocently. And it's to project that, that individual there and then to soothe and to be there with that. And then actually to have conversations with that boy and to speak to him and then to allow him to speak back to you and to begin a dialogue with those particular parts of yourself that ultimately have been pushed away, disowned, um, um, you know, isolated, neglected or whatever. Mm-hmm. And to say, Hey, I really want to get to know you and I'm committed to that so that you and I can actually have a trusting relationship where you understand that I'm here to protect you and I'm here to keep you safe so that none of those hurts and pains and abuses and traumas and neglects are ever going to happen to you again. When we can begin to track and hold our little boy or our little girl in the case of women, then we can begin to re-enter into relationship from a place where we can actually start to show up for our partner, whereby which we're not only tracking our own little boy or little girl, but we're actually tracking the other person's little boy or little girl. And then from that place, we can really have a foundational um, uh, securely attached uh, relationship that actually is 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 co-regulating instead of just two people regulating themselves and not being able to connect fully, and that is really crucial for interdependence between two individuals, right. as opposed to some sort of independence thing or codependence or enmeshed kind of relationship. Can you give an example of a five-year-old little boy and what? Um... Just one of one of one of the issues or shadows <clears throat> that a little five year old boy might feel. Yeah, I mean, um, big boys don't cry. You know? Okay. So you, an example would be little boy um, is with his family, maybe all of the you know mothers and fathers and sisters, brothers, whatever, and he. Um, uh, he 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 does something that's embarrassing. He 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 drops a glass and it breaks, and he feels embarrassed that he did that because oh everybody jumps, and in that moment you know he kind of freezes and he tracks everybody to see you know how he should respond or not respond you know and ultimately um, in that moment he. Uh, feels himself collapsing into his guilt, into this thing that he did that was 
careless, right? And in that moment, the men see him collapsing and they deliver this message, like big boys don't cry or some form of that, mm-hmm. which forces the little boy either into blocking that and being able to hold that or they collapse and they lose their shit and they just cry and cry and cry. And then there's shame that is in that judgment. And usually the women in that scenario, um, not usually often the women in that scenario don't um, necessarily challenge the men to say, Hey, like, it's okay. If he cries, it's not a big deal. But what ends up happening is, is that when he does collapse, of course, where does that boy go? He goes to the safety of the feminine who then brings him in and, 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 you know, and that's just an, an example that could be opposite. There could be the woman, the mother saying that to the little boy and, you know, him seeking refuge in, in the, in the masculine, in the male. But the point more so is that's an example of how, um, the repression of emotion inside the little boy's system and inside his body as he grows into his maturation into his let's just say he's coming of age he would not be able to he would not allow himself to feel sad or to feel tears and then in that moment of feeling whatever it is embarrassed shame in a in his you know in his life in some way shape or form he then would start to soothe with um, with masturbation or with pornography or with something that would allow for him to flood that system to not feel that even if it's just for a split second even though it doesn't fix it it at least allows him to not feel it enough for him to go to sleep and then not think about it until the next day right and so as the adult yeah. talking to this five-year-old little boy what are you saying to yourself in that moment like, is in if I'm doing that type of uh, uh-huh. shot work myself? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it would be, um, you just dropped the glass, and you're feeling a lot of emotion about that. You might be feeling guilt. You might be feeling uh, ashamed. You might be feeling embarrassed. Those are the emotions. Those are the words for what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's okay to feel those things. I also feel those things. I often do those things. I also, I often do things that I feel embarrassed and ashamed about, and that's an okay thing to feel. The uh, importance here is, is how are you going to respond to what has just happened? Um, collapsing into yourself is, is, I'm saying too much words because you wouldn't say this to a child, but what I'm getting at is I'm trying to work through the cognitive process of what I would say. Like Mm -hmm. in the the situation, if that was my own five-year-old boy, I would just grab him and say, it's okay that that happened. You know, you're okay to feel that way, the way you're feeling. Let's let, I fail all the time too. I just the other day dropped something. So I help to him to see that it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. Now, Let's together, let's go get the broom and the dustpan and let's clean this up and let's throw this away and let's restart the day. That's the kind of self, self-love, self-talk that is required in a, in a shadow work session with yourself in and around regulating your little boy and, 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 and intending to him so that that repression doesn't turn into um, you know, other types of addictive behaviors. Rage or... Or depression or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
I have, I have, I have used, you know, your five-year-old little child in a lot of, um, you know, therapy sessions or just a lot of conversations I've had, you know, if this was your five-year-old child, what would you do? Of course, I'd grab them into my arms and I'd hug them and I'd comfort them and I'd let them know it's okay, you know, or it's going to be okay, even though it may not feel okay right now that I'm here for you and I'll help you through this. And, um, and I think, I think that's the biggest aspect. Like if you see yourself through those eyes, you would never, you know, beat or berate or abuse a kid, you know, you would just take care of them and hold them and comfort them and let them know that everything is going to be okay and that you're okay. Yeah. You know, no matter what you did, no matter, you know, this is something I tell my kids, no matter what bad choices you make, no matter how much you think you screw up, no matter how badly you feel about yourself or what you've done or what's going on, I'll always have your back. I will always have your back. I will always be here to support you. I will always love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's conscious and, you know, that's conscious parenting right there. And that creates a safe container for a child to explore and to, and to really go for life instead of being fearful of, of will I be loved and accepted um, or will I be rejected if I don't accomplish X, Y, and Z? And I think that's where a lot of high performers are operating from, which is the fear of failure, the fear mm-hmm. of not being accepted by their, their parental group or one parent. And so they go looking for that same type of love and relationships so that they can reenact those dynamics in their careers and in their friendships even. So, yeah. Well, and I, I feel like, a, you know, a lot of these shadows are opportunities for us to reparent ourselves. Oh, 100%. And a relationship that is securely attached, that is actually precisely what I speak to, you know, my partner about, which is we're, co- we're literally reparenting ourselves and each other in this mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. This is literally a reparenting process. That's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be unfamiliar, unfamiliar, familiar t- territory. It's, it's just not going to be that easy. So... Yeah. And it takes time and effort and work in quotes <laughs> because it's yeah, unfamiliar. You, yeah. And when you do, when you do really great shadow work, especially if you have somebody that can help you lead your, lead you into some of those places, what happens is, is you reach peak experiences where your nervous system can hold more. It can hold more capacity and therefore in the holding more, we can be with our triggers with our partners without losing ourselves in rage or in judgment or collapsing and abandoning and stonewalling. Right. Mm -hmm. So we can hold more of that and understand that it's important that we track ourselves and our partner in that experience where we're effectively protecting ourselves and holding ourselves safe, but also where we're pushing back when is necessary so that we're, um, being respected too. So it's that kind of juxtaposition of staying protected, but also 
ensuring that we're being honest to our partners about the way in which their behaviors are, are um, not okay and that they're not appropriate. Do you feel like you can do that with your partner before you've done it with yourself? It's not possible to begin doing that with your partner until you've done it with yourself. I, because you're often judged, you're, you're often in a state of criticism or excuse me, you're feeling critiqued. So you're in a state of defensiveness mm-hmm. when your partner brings something up to you. And until we begin to have a relationship with those parts of ourselves that do need maturation and, and evolving, then we can't see the necessity for our partner to bring to us the shadows that we cannot see in ourselves. And therefore we're just rejecting them all as opposed to when somebody brings something to us, regardless of how they bring it, we are meeting ourselves in the eyes of the other. And then in that moment we get to say, okay, well, I have a blind spot here mm-hmm. and there's opportunity for me to evolve. And so therefore I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be appreciative of this, although it's uncomfortable and although it's, it's, it, it stings ultimately. Yeah. You're like, Ooh, Ooh, <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't like that you're telling me this. It doesn't feel good. And I'm sure it doesn't feel good to my partner either, which is why they're bringing it up, right? Sure. And, it, and to validate what they're saying can feel very powerless because then that uh, um, creates a sort of hierarchy where... Right. You're you know, right. I'm wrong. Yeah. And that's... And it takes a lot of courage to say, you know, for me, what I often say, and I learned this from a friend of mine, is, is to say, you know what? Like you're right. And more importantly, I'm wrong, like in this situation. And I think that that takes a lot of courage and guts to say, and then to say, you know what, and because of that, I, I'm sorry. And I, and I want to change and I'm, I'm committed to changing that. I'm going to take that particular part of my personality into my therapy, into my sessions, into my journals, into my dreams, into my um, co-parenting of my little boy and I'm going to, uh, or reparenting that little boy and I'm going to come back to you with what I'm going to do to change that particular thing. In the case with my partner and I, it's that I'm often not listening. Right. And that's a big trick. Huh? huh? Right. Because yeah. for people that are highly intellectual, uh, like myself, I have so many things going on in my head. And so the conversation's flowing all of a sudden, I, it's, you know, it's relatively, I mean, you could consider it ADD, but I don't necessarily consider it fully ADD. But what I will say is, is one little thing, one, I look at something and boom, my brain goes, and then all of a sudden I'm not actively listening, especially in cars or in places where you're driving and you're not really sitting eye to eye. When I'm eye to eye, I don't have that issue, but when I'm just moving through life, I'm not always and so that's a it's a big trigger and so it's something that I'm actively working on within myself so that there's trust there you know because right. one of my goals for 2020 is that I'm more trustworthy to everyone in my life but most especially my partner and the way in which I can be more trustworthy is to 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 actively and deeply listen when when she's speaking and and so are there ways that once she brings this up you know, and this is something that you take responsibility for and you try to, you try to improve because it's going to help you feel more connected ultimately, both to yourself and to your partner. Um, is this something that, you know, when it happens again, that she can say, Hey, you're doing that thing. Yeah. So <laughs> part of it is 
um, is the process of um, reprogramming that so that that isn't quite as much of a threat, which is to uh-huh. say that over time, as we've had more experiences and, um, and time together, uh, she sees that that isn't coming from a place of malevolence or from a place of narcissism or a place of right. whatever is it self-absorbed and, you know, in some degrees, am I a selfish being? Well, yeah, I'm an animal. There's absolutely times when I'm selfish and I'm thinking about my own thing and I'm not caring about my partner or anybody for that matter. Yeah. So it's, for me, it's helping her and I, but we both need to help each other to see that we are ultimately selfish and that we are going to not always pay attention and that that's a part of the the journey that we're not always as conscious as we would like to be (laughs) and, and having grace around that. as opposed to, you know, taking it to the next level of turning it into a fighter or something. Right. And and it could just be, it could just be something like, Hey, I noticed that you seem distracted or not fully present. You know, can we pick up this conversation when you can come back? Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Great way to do that. Yeah. So there are so many ways to just be an observer, you know, which you've talked about just being curious Hey, I've noticed this, or tell me what you think about this, or um, tell me what's going on for you right now, so that it's, so that it's both, you know, acknowledging your effect on me, and me expressing how it's affecting me. And, you know, and, and how can we, what can I learn from this? Because I think all of these shadows are, what do I need to learn from this? What do I need to either let go of or create more of um, in order to be more fully present with myself and with my partner and in order to, um, you know, help maintain or improve the connection versus disconnection? Yeah. Yeah. It's moving it from an unhealthy place to a healthier place for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you had a list of things that you wrote down. We should we should talk about the ones that you're most interested in because I was actually curious about what, what this is all about. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we're 13 minutes away from your deadline. So just FYI, um, I'll just read them and Mm -hmm. then, and then you can, I'll read the, I'll read the list. And then if you want to pick one or two, then we can do that. Okay, cool. Okay. So I just did them in alphabetical order so that I could easily find them. Um, The first one was abandoned. Uh Second one was afraid, uh, anxiety, blame, contempt, criticism, depression, disgust, fear, frustration, guilt, hidden or unseen, hurt, insecurity, judgment or judged, powerlessness, rejected, sadness, shame, and unsafe. Mm Yeah. And then, so what, so how do we want to unpack one of those words? Like what, what exactly are we striving for here? Um, I think how, how you, how you um, transmute the, the shadow into um, a light aspect of yourself. Sure. Okay. Um. I think for me, I'll choose the abandoned. That's the top of the list. Is that right? Yep. Abandoned. Yep. Yeah. 
Let's do that one. So that's a good one for me too. Yeah. So ultimately, um, I mean, this is just a theory because I, I have no idea, but I think at, at more like a spiritual or soul level, we we would really strive. Um, maybe at a, at a parental level, we would strive to love our child uh, as as unconditionally as possible, and to be mm-hmm. attentive and present as much as we possibly can. Um, and that, you know, I don't have children of my own, but the reality is, is that's just not the way that life works. There's mm-hmm distractions there's responsibilities responsibilities so we can't do that so i think that that ultimately a child as they're moving in you know through their developmental stages and into adolescence they're interfacing with situations where they don't feel met in some way shape or form Mm -hmm. their parents aren't able to co-regulate with them and to calm their nervous systems their parents aren't there for them yeah and so from my perspective, you know, you have, um, you kind of have, like, I think that this kind of abandonment really ties into attachment style, which is mm-hmm. um, that, uh, you know, an insecure attachment when mom comes back in from leaving, freaks out and runs to mom and then, you know, and does that jam. and then Doesn't let go. Doesn't let go. And then the avoidant attachment when mom comes back in, um, baby just ignores mom and doesn't or stomps and stomps out of the room and pouts or and just and and has to um end up learning ultimately just about regulation within themselves and figuring out how to regulate their own nervous system they don't realize that it takes two people to co-regulate which is why it's so difficult for them to be in relationship because it doesn't feel safe um and so what's interesting about the uh research that's been done on sort of abandonment is from what I researched is that the actual avoidant child um, who pretends like they're all cool and calm and collected when their mom comes back, they're actually over functioning more than the the child as far as their nervous system and their heart rate. And so um, as it relates to abandonment, like how to work with that within yourself, uh, I think there's a couple things. There's neglect, which they now from what I understand through the therapeutic lens, they consider neglect abuse, which is that a child is just left alone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some might say, well, is neglect uh, or people might be confused about that. Like is neglect really abuse? And I would say, you know, one of the parts of the things that I want to talk about in my, um, in my, in my pornography courses, like covert versus overt trauma. So an overt trauma would be, you know, father striking a child that's very obvious that's abuse covert trauma would be this this neglect which ultimately is many abandonments over the course of the child's life over a long period of time Mm -hmm. to the point where with especially the anxious or excuse me the avoidant child where they're not being attended to over a long period and their their developmental stage and so in order if you are the avoidant i'm not the avoidant i'm more of the anxious attachment style but if you are that i think it's super important to understand that unless you penetrate that sphere and learn and and accept that uh you have to overcome that the fact that you have were neglected or left alone a lot that in order to have a, a securely attached and, and safe relationship you have to penetrate that if you don't, then you might end up lonely and sad and anxious and depressed 
for the rest of your life. And you might feeling have a, isolated. Yeah. And you might have a wonderful relationship with your pet and your friends, but there's still a void there. Something that doesn't feel safe to be in relationship to another. And then if you're the anxious style in that situation, for me, that's all about, you know, uh, usually those two attract each other. So if you're the I was, was going to say that. Yeah, this one's pursuing the other one and this one obviously wants to go. And so the pursuer and the distancer. Yep. And there's always a degree of healing that's necessary for the, for the individuals because we attract you know, as the opposites. Um, and so I think for them, it's about when they when let's just say their mother left and then they felt that degree of abandonment, their mother comes back and they freak out and they like go crazy and they cry and they lose themselves, they collapse. And so that's what I'm realizing as it relates to anxious attachment style, which is that when partner leaves, are you able to co-regulate with yourself? Like, are you able to go, yeah, you do need your space, your time, or yeah, you are over-functioning and you need to like, you know, you know, have some, some time away. And so then that goes back to those experiences that I was, or those exercises I was talking about earlier, where you're co-regulating with that little boy inside of you so that Mm -hmm. you're really like holding him and realizing, Hey, it's going to be okay. Like I got you when she's ready or he's ready to come back in, then we will reconnect, but Mm -hmm. don't collapse. I mean, it's okay to collapse, but don't collapse and think that you're not going to have that get back up yeah back up i'm here for you and with you and we're going to be able to be okay this time around this isn't going to be the repeat scenario of what you experienced in infancy or in your childhood development that you're you know unaware of so it's yeah so that's those things that those things trigger the past experience but then you come back to say like my antonyms are um instead of feeling abandoned you feel defended or maintained or cherished or supported or cared for. Um, And so those are the things, those are the things that you need to give yourself. Yes. So that in order to regulate that sense of abandonment. Sure. So as the ancient, the anxious style for myself, it would be, she's not here right now. You're okay. I cherish you. I love you. You're important to me. I'm here for you and with you. Right. We're not like, I'm not going anywhere. That right. kind of communication begins to develop into that sort of shadow work, but that takes that out of the shadow and moves it into a light space, which is to say I'm here. And then if you're more on the avoidance style, um, I think that for people that have the more avoidance style attachment style, because of so much neglect, so many, many abandonments, my experience has been such that, the big fear for them is, is that there's a powerlessness when there's rupture because they don't feel like they want to come back in. They are at the mercy of the wave penetrating them to come back to repair. And so there's a degree of fear in the Island or in the sort of Island. When you said that, I was like, that's exactly it. Correct. So there, they don't understand that, Hey, unless this person comes back, I'm screwed here. This is not this relationship because I can't come back in because that's not what I do. I don't, I don't go back into an unsafe environment. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's where they're speaking to their little boy or little girl and going, you know what? It's okay. You don't have to do it that same way. You, it's okay for you to, to step back in and for you to, 
ex understand that there's been a sever or a rupture and, a, and, and, and it's okay for you to seek to repair in this moment. So that's really, I was where... just thinking, get on, get on the boat in your Island and just paddle <laughs> right across the stream or whatever. Get out there into those waves. And after you get through the break, it'll be a little bit more calm, right? Yeah. 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 So it's, it's just the journey. And I think that that's, yeah, I, man, abandonment, such a, such a big one. Cause, cause we all have that abandonment wound in us and, yeah. and ultimately we, we expected our parents to always be there and they just couldn't be for whatever reason and some more than others. And so we're all really experiencing that in certain little mini moments and tracking ourselves is so crucial. And then tracking our partner's abandonment as well as that next evolution of helping them to be aware of their own shadows because they obviously can't see them. So you're tracking yourself right. and you're tracking. Well, yeah. and, and, and for abandonment also, where am I abandoning myself? Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Where am I out of integrity with self or where am I um, disrespecting myself? Where am I, you know, leaving myself behind here and not checking in? Where am I distracting or, or, or numbing that kind of thing? So, re so really these are all gifts to do some internal exploration and figure out what do I need to learn here? What is this trying to show me? Where am I not showing up for myself or where am I not honoring myself or accepting myself or having compassion for myself? I mean, these are the ways that we heal all of this stuff. Yep. And the one way to do that uh, before we close is just, we call it shadow writing. So pick a particular age of yourself um, and then write uh, to him or her and then immediately turn the page over and then from his or her perspective right back and then just mm -hmm. begin the dialogue and you write a paragraph and then you respond to it and then write a paragraph and respond and you just flip the paper over and little by little lo and behold we get to the root of that relationship where we begin to relate to it instead of from it and then we can start to kind of have that uh, it's just it's self yeah self-shadow work ultimately yeah it's really beautiful to awaken to all of this stuff so that you're not carrying these burdens on your shoulders right so so that you can really ultimately be free mm -hmm. ultimately it's about freedom and then safety and connection and, and having that safe and secure partnership that we all long for and and that's that's the paradox both within yourself you know feeling completely free and and completely connected to myself and in your partnership feeling completely free to be who you are and yeah. feeling completely connected to your partner and yeah. the ebb and flows, you know, and allowing the ebb and flows to happen both within yourself and within your partnership. Oh, yeah. I couldn't have, couldn't have said it better myself. That was so lovely. <laughs> Woohoo. Another amazing conversation, Tyson. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> this is beautiful sharing this space with you really and truly. Yeah. Well, thank you as well. I feel the same. So like, I just get super energized by these conversations. I do as well. And that's probably why we're back here for the episode number two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's going to be an episode three, four, five six and beyond. <laughs> I, I hope, I hope we can continue to have these conversations. They're so important and so valuable and so um, inspiring. 
Yeah. Well, let's, let's do it. Let's keep it rolling. Yeah. I will put your info in the show notes. Um, Tyson Adams on Facebook and adams.tyson at gmail.com. Yep. And And, we'll uh, look forward to your online course. When do you think you're going to be able to launch it? Mm, I hope in a month or so. I hope, but not sure. It just, it's, it's a whole As it comes. I know it's a whole thing. (laughs) Mine too. It's a whole thing. So, um, yeah, for everybody, if you enjoyed this episode, which I'm sure you will, um, please subscribe and share with your friends to the wake up to real love podcast. And as Tyson and I always say, the most important relationship that you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. Um, so that you can be the kind of partner that you wish to have. So thank you so much again, Tyson Adams. Um, It's been a pleasure and an honor to be with you today. (laughs) Thank you, Don. (laughs) Alrighty. Thanks, listeners. We'll see you next time. Uh, Every day, wake up to more real love. Take care. Bye.